Well, good morning to you all. You braved the horrible fog, right, and made it out to church, and uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, you may or may not know, but uh, our tenants usually dips a little bit in December, and uh, I know it's because people just get really busy, and you often have to take a trip to Edmonton or something to uh, buy or do whatever you need to do, and uh, so we do appreciate that you're here and uh, are always very grateful at. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you so deeply, deeply love us. And as we look in your word today, we are going to discover that your grace predates sin. That even as the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Today, God, we need to do some self-reflection, and we need your Holy Spirit's help. We need to reflect whether we are conforming to the patterns of this world or whether our foundation this Christmas is you, Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to actually dig into the person of Jesus and the salvation that he brought Bring clarity to our minds, tear down strongholds and worldly beliefs that we might have, that we would be set free by your truth. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. On the way to work this morning, uh, I was driving along and I kept getting some red lights at the beginning, and I wondered uh, if we have any firemen in the church, because I think you guys have a button where you can force the light to turn green. Wouldn't that be nice if we could all have one of those? Of course, it would be mayhem in the city, but you know, those are the kind of things, uh, things I think about when I'm sitting for. Have you ever timed a light? I'm sitting there going, man, I'm sitting here for 10 minutes. So the next day I'll go there in time and it'll come to about 45 seconds or one minute and I'll be going, ah, sure feels longer than that. And often our perceptions, our opinions dictate how we outcome in our life or how we believe and think, the foundations of how we believe and think really begin to display themselves in our words and our actions. We are in the Christmas season. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And so we as a church, having just finished the fruit of the Spirit, we thought, how do we help people this Christmas kind of get that good worldly ideas and thoughts about Christmas out of their mind and, and help them to get a foundation? And I want to point something out. A proper foundation of Jesus at Christmas should propel you into family, games, food, celebration. It should do that. But unfortunately, what's happened over the years is that foundation that the church laid hundreds of years ago has been supplanted or, or pushed away, and now it's only about the food, family, and presence, right? I didn't grow up in the church. My parents never went to church as I was being raised, and they were good, honest parents, and they both had a belief in Jesus on their own. But I can tell you that Christmas was not about Jesus. 
At best, in my upbringing, Christmas had a little bit of a tack on about Jesus. Not even so much that they would go to church Christmas Eve, like some people do once a year, but they would turn on the television programs or the, the preacher, Billy Graham, or somebody at Christmas, and they would give a little bit of lip service, and it was a bit of a tack on. So I grew up in that environment. So for, to me, uh, family, the twinkly lights, uh, the incredible food, especially in those days. We only ever ate that kind of food once a year usually. Uh, now we can almost get turkey all year round. Uh, but back then you couldn't. A lot of the fresh fruit that we eat year round, the chocolate we eat year round, we only got it at Christmas back then. Well, at least in Fort St. John. Maybe Fort St. John was just too small. I don't know, a one-horse town, whatever you might call it. But as I grew up, once a year it was about family, food, presents, and sometimes a little bit of Christmas carols. So as I was growing up, I utterly loved Christmas, especially Christmas morning, when I got to open that present and see what mom and dad got me, see how much they loved me or didn't love me that year. <laughs> when I hit my teen years, my parents turned weird. Now, I want to be honest, they didn't change at all. I became a teenager. And my parents were just a little odd to me. The clothes they wore, the things they talked about, the things that were important to them. So suddenly the family component of Christmas, I still appreciated a bit of the games and the hanging out, but it just wasn't there for me. The presents, my parents could no longer afford to buy the presents a teenager wanted. I mean, that snowmobile that I really desperately wanted, they just couldn't afford that. Or, well, we even had gaming stuff back then. I can remember this Atari triangle thing. And uh, I think my uncle bought us all that one year. And I remember paying, playing a Goose Hunt. And uh, there was some kind of Pong game on that thing. And I remember that. That was pretty exciting. But Christmas started to lose its allure or its magic or its what I thought it used to be. Because, and I want you to understand this, I did pray to receive Christ seven, eight years old. I had started going to church in grade 10, but I still was very, very secular. I remember thinking, well, the problem is, is because there's no kids in the family. And then my sister, when I was 16, had twin girls, and then she had a, a son. And I remember that when I moved up into about 17, 18, 19 years old, Christmas, kind of some of the excitement came back. And I made the conclusion myself that what Christmas needed or what Christmas was about was it was about children and presents and the wonder in their eyes and the excitement. And without that, Christmas was nothing. Do you see where I'm going with this? It has taken me years to put Jesus on the foundation of my Christmas. It has taken me years to shake out some of the secular ideas that I grew up with. And I want to say to you, don't get me wrong. When Jesus, when you understand who he was and what he came to do and how he was born in a major and how significant that was, it should propel you into family and fellowship and food. You should celebrate. You should buy each other gifts. You should give Jesus a gift. You should wake up Christmas morning and just go, thank you, Jesus. You should read Luke 2 as your family gathers around the tree and hands out presents. For Christ is the foundation. 
So as the service planning team met, we started talking this through, saying, how do we move from the fruit of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, how do we move into this Christmas season and help people to make Jesus the foundation? Well, we came up with a series of three messages, and the messages are going to focus on who Jesus is who Jesus is, and as we go through who Jesus is on Christmas Eve, we will end with perspectives on who Jesus is. So the whole service will have songs and people talking and dramas happening that talk about how people perceived Jesus back in the day. And we're praying that Christmas morning you'll wake up and you'll go, thank you, Jesus, Why does this make a difference? This makes a difference because if Christmas is all about family, I lost my mom a year and a bit ago. And if Christmas to me is just about family and games and food, Christmas honestly would be a letdown. It would be disappointing. And I did struggle last Christmas, but you see, my foundation that used to be just about my mom is now about Jesus. So now when I wake up Christmas morning thinking my mom's not here, in fact, three Christmases ago she spent Christmas with us here in Grand Prairie, my mom's gone, she's in heaven, and when I wake up in the morning I might get the tear in my eye, but I think now, in fact, I know now I can say thank you, Jesus. And I can have the conversation with Jesus and say, I wonder if you set up a Christmas tree for my mom. You see the difference that it makes when you have the right foundation when you're not so secular. Now, the secular stories and celebration of Christmas, for the most part, have been born out of Jesus, Santa Claus. Well, even that comes from a guy from the third century, a bishop who went around and gave gifts to children. But we have replaced Christmas, and I would argue, with all the wrong things in the wrong order. And my prayer this morning is we will have the right order today. So looking at who Jesus is, we could go, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now Genesis chapter 1, now this is the oldest book in the Bible. Some would argue some of the other books may be predated, but uh, the storyline in the least is the oldest because it starts at the beginning. Genesis means beginnings. Genesis 1 talks about creation. Genesis 2, basically creation. Genesis 3 talks about the fall of man. But you're going to discover something, a little clue, right at the epicenter of when things went wrong. There's a little statement made to Satan that gives a little bit of a clue. And we read more of these clues in the New Testament. And we read these clues even in Isaiah and the other prophets But we start getting a clue right in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible that God has always had a plan. He knew we were going to sin. He knew we were going to fall. But listen to what he says to Satan in chapter 3, verse 15. And I, God himself, will put enmity. Now, enmity is a a distrust, a hate, a dislike, enmity like enemies. Between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, plural, and 
and the woman and hers. He will, and here come some clues, he will crush your head. Eve's offspring will crush it. Now, if you're a snake, and if you know anything, I, I remember going to Africa, I asked them, how do you kill snakes? And they hit them on the head, and then they crush their head. That's where the brain is. It's hard to kill a snake besides that. If you're afraid of snakes, I'm sorry, I'm talking about snakes. Don't start thinking something slithering up your leg. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you want to kill a snake, you hit it on the head. So can you imagine how Satan felt, the serpent felt at this point? He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we read the rest of the scriptures and it all makes sense. This is the plan, the third chapter in Genesis already. Now I've shared a story I think twice before in my preaching about a town that had a problem. The town had this cliff at the edge of town and kids kept falling off it and dying, some injured. So they had a town meeting and they decided, one person put up their hand and said, let's build a fence. So they built a fence. Problem was, kids would climb over the fence and still fall off. So then they said, well, let's educate them. Well, they would educate them and it still didn't help. Kids still went over the cliff. One parent got the bright idea, well, why don't we put ambulances at the bottom of the cliff? Let's get rid of the fences and the education and we'll just fix them when they have the problem. But as you know the story, that didn't necessarily work either. But imagine, and I've never talked about it this way, if there was a fourth response. Let's say they did put up a fence. Let's say they did educate. They tried to explain it. Let's say they did try to have ambulances at the bottom, but people were still dying. But they came up with a fourth solution, and the fourth solution being that parents literally would volunteer themselves at the bottom of the cliff. They would create a surgery room, and whatever part of body or whatever went wrong with the people that fell off the cliff, they would give up their lives for that child. You see, God knows everything. He saw the cliff before he created Adam and Eve. It's called sin. He saw the rebellion. But he had a plan right from the beginning. And he did put a fence up. It's called the law in the Old Testament. And the law was there as we read in the book of Hebrews. It was put there. We saw this last week. It was put there to increase sin so that you know very well that you weren't marking making the mark, that the cliff was there. And in fact, built into the law was a system of an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. You could sacrifice animals if you sinned. But all of that, we understand and we understood, has not been sufficient enough. But God had a plan. And that was his son, Jesus. So point number two, and this is really important to understand, that Jesus was mentioned right in the third chapter of the book, but Point number two, Jesus existed before his human birth even. Did you know that? No, this isn't some story where there's a big bowl of babies up in heaven and they're just waiting to be born into a human body. No, this is actually Jesus pre-existed his human birth. Listen, John chapter one, verse one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, third book in the New Testament, John is a wonderful book about Jesus, by the way. One of the best, one of the most clearest. A very evangelistic book that book explains everything. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, 
Keep that thought. Hold on to that thought. In the beginning was the Word. Now, in context, if you read this through, you will discover really fast the Word referred to here is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Did you hear that? Through him, Jesus the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Friends, this has been the plan all along. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Even when you think that sin is just going rampant and running away, it has not. Jude chapter 25, I mean verse 25, little teeny book in the Bible. Jude 25 says this, to the only God our Savior, it's kind of a weird mixer, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority, listen to this, through Christ Jesus our Lord, and here it comes, before all ages, the Greek word there is chronos, meaning time, now and forevermore. You see, Jesus predates his human birth. John 8, 58, these are Jesus' words, and he says, very truly I say to you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you keep reading in that, you find out the Pharisees got a little ticked off at Jesus. They basically understood that Jesus was saying, I am God, and that was blasphemy, and they started to plot against him at that point. John 6:62. Then what if you see the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus is talking now about his human death, and he's talking about how he will return back to heaven he is God, he is with God, and he's going to be there again. And he said, what if? This is important because the one who had the power to create you, the one who did create you, has become like you and I. He's done this to change the course of your life. So even in the beginning, when sin began, before it was even birthed at all, God had a plan. And can you imagine that even though God knew his creation would sin and fall away, he loved us so much that he still went ahead and created Adam and Eve. And I would argue it's because he had an overall plan how to deal with evil and how to restore people that want to be restored. Listen to this next truth, point three. Talking about Jesus, the plan for Jesus' grace, do you understand what grace is? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is even though we were still sinners, he died for us. God's grace is you can be forgiven for all the wrongdoings and bad stuff you've done. The plan for Jesus' grace predates man's fall. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is written by the Apostle Paul, great theologian, was probably one of the most religious Jewish people before he gave his heart to Jesus. So he understood the Old Testament like crazy. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, carried by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote these. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. If you stop there, you go, okay, I'm going to stop being bad. I'm going to start being good. I'm not going to do bad things. But listen to what the next line says. Not because of anything we have done. So no, it's not legalism. It's not religion. But because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus, listen to this, before the beginning of time. In other words, grace, forgiveness, God's plan, Jesus coming in the flesh predates everything. Verse 10, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus created everything. He was aware before creation that we needed saving. This is an incredible thing to wrap our heads around this Christmas. This is the foundation to why we celebrate. <coughs> when my first son was born 31 years ago, I can remember it really kind of scared me thinking, well, what if I die? I mean, we know in this world that we die. And so I was concerned about my wife and my son, so I started thinking about life insurance. And I remember when we moved to Tumblr Ridge, our first pastorate, I met with a guy named Terry from Dawson Creek, and I bought life insurance. Now, I didn't have a premonition. I didn't have a prophetic word. I didn't have any idea. It was mostly born out of some of my fear of wanting to take care of my family. But can you imagine God looking over time, seeing his creation, Adam and Eve, and they fall in sin and they're put out of God's presence, out of the garden. They no longer get to walk with God in the evening. They no longer have this relationship happening. You need to understand this. They no longer have this relationship happening. And he looks down and he goes, well, that's not going to be good enough. A lot of people have often said to me, well, if God is so holy and right, why did he let sin happen in the first place? And why is he not dealing with it now? I've been hurt so badly by people who are sinful, whether you've been raped or whether you've been abused or whether you've had your money stolen from you or a boss treats you awfully or, or you've had some mean girls in junior high be after you. Whatever your story is, you say, why has God allowed evil to go on? I will ask people like that. I'll say, okay. So God finishes evil. I said, what does that look like, do you think? Does he just like suck evil thoughts out of our heads and we ourselves are no longer evil and people are no longer evil? And they go, well, I guess he could do that. And I said, well, you understand that then we wouldn't, we'd just be robots. We'd be reprogrammed. We wouldn't have a free will. And you have to understand, we've been created in God's image. In God's image is he's actually a person that can think and make choices all on his own, so he's created us. So then I ask the follow-up question, and I say, so if God deals with evil, what does that then look like? Does God just wipe out all the evil men and women in this world, like just kill them all and save the ones that are kind of sort of good like you? And they go, well, yeah, maybe that would work. And I say, well, let me give you a challenge. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and look in the mirror, ask yourself this question. Am I perfectly good? Have I never sinned? 
And they go, well, what's the purpose of that? And I said, well, it's really important to understand that God's holding back his wrath. Because he had a plan right from the beginning of grace. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross so that I could be, as the scriptures describe it, transformed. I could be a new creation. My old would be put off and my new would be put on and I would go heavenward for eternity. And so God's holding back his wrath. So it's really horrible and awful. I understand that there's evil in this world. But understand that God is with you. Friends, Jesus isn't just a nice Christmas story in a manger. Jesus is an unbelievable Savior that loves his creation, loves you like you can't even imagine. My fourth kind of get-your-head-around statement. We find in the book of Hebrews in the Bible that Jesus' deity, now deity means Jesus being God, is described like Melchizedek from the Old Testament. Now Melchizedek, just to lay a little bit of groundwork, Abraham had a battle. He won the battle. And then there's kind of really vague references in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, it, it kind of refers to this Melchizedek, and, and he's the prince of peace and, and a whole bunch of other descriptions. Of it. He's a king of Salem and uh, all these weird things. And Abraham ties 10% of all of his winnings or all of his earnings and everything he has to Melchizedek. By the way, this is before the law. So if you think that tithing is a legal requirement, yes, it did get into the law, but it predates the law, and we'll look at that in January a little bit. And so Melchizedek is very briefly mentioned in Genesis 14 and very briefly mentioned in the Psalms. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, kind of picks up on these two themes. This Melchizedek referred to in Genesis and Psalms, was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. This is a description in those words. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. And here comes a description from Psalms. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Are you hearing that? This is how Jesus is described and referred to. He's like this kind of mystical, weird kind of figure from the Old Testament called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is this guy without genealogy. This is describing Jesus. Now, we know Jesus was born of Mary. And some would try to argue of Joseph, but Joseph was his, not his biological father. We read Luke chapter 2, and we find that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary while she was yet a virgin. So Jesus is like this Melchizedek. I saw a meme this morning and I had to refer to it in first service and I suspected nobody would laugh. And is there any PRBI professors, Master Divinity students, PRBI students? 
A few of you might laugh. We'll see if you laugh at this. It was a, a little meme, and it was a little boy climbed up on Santa's lap, and Santa said, how can I help you? And the little boy looked at him, and he says, tell me the difference between homoousius and homoousius. The difference is the letter I in the word. The first one has a couple of O's, and the second one replaces an O with an I. That's it. It's Greek words. And Santa looks at him and says, I don't know what the answer to that is. And he says, the little boy looks up to him and says, you're a fake. <laughs> now you're wondering, well, how could he know that? Well, back in the fourth century, there was a council of Nicene. And the church had a little bit of a problem going on because there was a group of people and they were saying that Jesus was in essence or similar to God. And the church for years had taught that Jesus was God like the scriptures I've read to you. He was in the beginning, he created things. He wasn't just similar to God, but he actually was the essence of God. He came from the same stuff as God. And so if Santa was really real, he would have known that difference, so the joke went, well, you guys didn't quite laugh too much. As this text talks about in Hebrews that Jesus is like Melchizedek the priest, it really is trying to help us, and if you read the book of Hebrews, you understand this. Uh, he is a priest that uh, can actually relate to us. He's, he's completely human. He was fully God and fully man. And there's another nice, fancy theological word, hypostatic union, that basically means fully God, fully man. He was both things, and that had to happen. Because you see, God had a plan before time. God had a plan before creation. God had a plan before the fall, and that plan was Jesus Christ, this little wee wiggling baby in a manger. And he was born of a lowly birth, in a barn, placed in a feed trough, Oh, there was little glimpses of glory when the three kings from the east, well, it doesn't say three kings, but they brought frankincense and myrrh, and they laid them at Jesus' feet because they had understood from the heavens. The stars literally had told them there's going to be somebody, really, a king born. I don't know about you, but this Christmas or last Christmas, does it seem like something's off? Or maybe in your life you got that big paycheck, you've just been waiting for it, the economy's been slow and you finally got lots of work, you got the paycheck and it just didn't quite feel, you know, it didn't go far enough or you wished you could have more stuff. Something's just off. That's what Jesus died for. You know how my Christmas was messed up because it was the celebration, the worldly idea I got fixed on it instead of having my eyes, thoughts, mind, heart fixed on Jesus? Friends, we need peace. We need real purpose. Remember last week I spoke about balance in your life, body, soul, and spirit. Our sin has caused a rift between us and God. We no longer have a personal relationship with him walking in the garden. Sin has caused a barrier between us. We have a number of people in church 
And I, I think it was about a year ago, a few of them came to me and said, oh, I, I want to help out in Alpha. Now, if you don't know what Alpha is, it's a course that we put on, a video course, and then we have tables of discussion, and it's a course, kind of the basics of Christianity. It even goes a little more than that. It even teaches stuff like the Holy Spirit and works and righteousness and, and living holy and all that kind of stuff. It, it really is good. It talks about healing. And people went to this saying, oh, I'm going to help out for a year. I asked a few of them recently, are you going to keep helping out? And three of them said to me, I wouldn't have anything else in my life. And I said, why? What's so cool about Alpha? Is it the program? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I said, no, well, well, what is it that you just love about Alpha? They say to me, every one of them will say, and I get it because I honestly would love to, and I did run Alpha for one year here at the church, and I ran it in my last church. They said, what is so amazing? When people start to understand who Jesus is, they start to look in the mirror and they see their own sin and they see their need of forgiveness and they pray and receive him. Now understand, all of you that prayed and received Jesus, you, you may not have had all the theology right about Jesus, but today I'm trying to expand your base a little bit of the plan that Jesus put into place for you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you deeply and desperately and he wants this Christmas to be very special even though you might be grieving your mom, your husband, your wife. Maybe you're grieving a child that's passed away or moved away. I want you, though, to look at the basis of Jesus. I was thinking about Berdine, and I can't imagine what her mom and dad will go through this year. But I know if I was her mom and dad, and her mom and dad are awesome people, and they probably get there themselves, but I'd be thinking, yeah, I miss Berdine terribly, but isn't it amazing? She's going to England, and she's going to be going into some other countries doing photojournalism to help the gospel, this truth, so that more alpha experiences can happen, and people can pray and receive Jesus. They can have their lives changed. They can have hope replace their sorrow and their emptiness. They can, they can have those secular ideas of what fun is about, and it can be replaced with, with godly celebrations and family and song and present giving, and it can be incredible. My final point, and I hope this final point warms you up to celebrating Jesus' birth this year. We must wrap our heads around the fact that Jesus is God and he chose to become a man. And if you are any kind of theologian, you had to know I was going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, I mean it's, it's, the whole chapter is incredible, but I'm just going to focus on two verses, starting in verse 6. Jesus, who being in very nature God, remember the words that I said and didn't do very well at those Greek words? Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Anybody that thinks God is a narcissistic, self-absorbed person has not read the scriptures did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made 
in human likeness. Now, this passage really has two parts, and I could do a whole sermon on that, but kind of the first part is Jesus is God. Jesus is God, that homeosis, and I can't even say it right. And even though he was God, even though he had all the authority, even though he had all the power, even though he had all the leverage, he leveraged everything he had, and he went to the bottom of the cliff, and he said, I give my body for you. And he became a man. He became a baby. He went into a manger of the lowliest birth in a barn, in a feed trough. This Jesus who created everything, this Jesus who has always been, this Jesus who knew that we would need saving before he created us, this very Jesus planned grace before creation. This Jesus chose to become a baby in a manger. I've watched at least a half a dozen movies like this, but the hero in the movie somehow, someway, gets trapped in some time tunnel. And they end up going back in time 100 years, 500 years, and they're living in the past, and they don't like it. They would rather have their Apple iPhone or whatever, their Android phone, and they miss all the food that we have here, and they're under this horrible Roman rule or something, and they start scheming. How can I not let this happen? Well, I'm back in time, so maybe I could orchestrate something so the badness doesn't happen to me. So he knows his own life. He knows where he's going to be and what he's going to do, so he starts to leave messages for himself, hidden in various nooks and crannies. Why does he do that? Because he wants to set things right. Now God is way beyond somebody that's lived a life and gone back. God looks down on time and he goes, ooh, that creation right there, <laughs> it's not looking too good. And consulting amongst the Trinity, they probably think, okay, well what can we do to fix that problem? And I can imagine Jesus stepping forward and he says, well, how about... How about I go down and become a man? And how about I die a death, and I can see the other two, the Holy Spirit and the Father, saying, well, wait a minute. You don't need to die because you're God, and you haven't sinned. And he goes, no, Jesus says, hear me out. I, I die a horrible, punishing death, and I do that so that People themselves can be restored to us. I'll take the punishment they deserve. And in fact, on the third day, I'll rise again from the dead, and I will be in heaven at the right hand of God, the Father. And I will send the Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit, down, and he will indwell these people who have prayed and received me. Can you imagine why he did that? Because he loved us. Because he wanted to set things straight. So in conclusion, four kind of questions. Christmas is a reminder that God has come in the flesh and revealed himself. That's the foundation. That's what it's about. Second question I have to you is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? He wants to know you personally. Number three, in preparation for Christmas Eve, our wonderful services that we've already put lots of work into, I want to challenge you to read the book of Luke. Does anybody know how many chapters Luke has? Anybody? 24. 
Well, you missed day one yesterday, but you can catch up. It's only one day behind. My wife and I started yesterday reading Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, there's this guy, John the Baptist. He's about to be born. His dad's name was Zacharias. And Zacharias was a high priest, and it was actually his turn to go into the Holy of Holies. So he goes in there to offer some sacrifices on behalf of people. And it was a place where the presence of God dwelled. They actually would tie a rope onto your leg in case you fell over dead. They would pull you out. And he goes in there and he has this angel visit him. And I just read this story yesterday. What a cool story. Did you know that we read us, we sang a song, the curtain's been torn in two. There's nothing that separates us from God now because Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. So fourth question, or fourth request. In the next few days, spend time up to Christmas Eve hearing Jesus. Now I know you read your Bible, and I will tell you that the Bible is the best way to hear from God. But did you know God still wants to speak to his people today? And let me challenge you, ask him questions and listen. For example, you could say, God, do you love me? And I guarantee you, unless you're just really closed and hard and angry or something, I want to guarantee you that God will probably start bringing scriptures to your mind, or or he might tell you to open your Bible to a certain spot, or, or he might give you a picture, or, or he might actually, the very, some of us actually hear words from God. So spend time hearing Jesus. Ask him questions and listen. As you go through Luke 1 to Luke 24, read it and say, God, what do you have to say to me? Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full, that we would be reconciled to God. If you don't know him, get to know him this morning. If your life has got a foundation that's really worldly, like mine maybe was, this Christmas will bring it out. Is it all about the drinking? Is it all about the partying? All about the friends? All about the presents? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't celebrate because the foundation of Jesus is incredible stuff. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that before the creation of the world, grace was, well, it was discussed, it was figured out, it was planned, and I would have loved to have been around that conversation as the essence of God, this oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can imagine you guys, I'm sure it wasn't a conversation like we think because you're one person, but I can imagine Jesus presenting the idea that he would go and become a baby. He'd become a human and die on a cross of death he didn't deserve so that we could be rescued from our impending deaths, from that drop off the cliff And honestly, God, many of us have felt and and seen that impending doom. We've experienced the consequences of sin, and we have tried so hard to improve our lives. But we are in need of a Savior, and you had that plan so many years ago. 
And over the next 23 days until Christmas Eve, God, would you speak fresh thoughts and words to us? Holy Spirit, would you fill us up? Would you lay a foundation on our Christmas celebration that really is so strong, so powerful, that we are standing upon the rock, the rock of Jesus that is described clearly in scriptures of being God himself. And then out of that, God, whether we have to grieve a loved one that's gone or a job that's lost or a, a, a hurt or, or somebody has been mean to us or, or we literally have been abused or whatever it might be, may our foundation be where our, our, our spirit falls and stops. This world can throw a lot at us, but you, Jesus, are the rock this Christmas could be a downer for some people, but Jesus, you are the rock. And my prayer this morning is when we each collectively wake up on December 24th and open up our eyes, we can say, praise you, Jesus, for coming from heaven, not considering quality with God, something we need to grasp, but you humbled yourself and became flesh. Help our minds get around that this Christmas. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.